reading Psalm 150, the last of the Psalms. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Carolyn. In our series in looking at prayer, uh, today, guess what we're looking at? Praise. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's fitting that we read that final psalm. But as we dig a little deeper uh, into God's word and the reasons for praising, uh, we need God to help us uh, understand and appreciate. So I'm going to uh, lead us in prayer now. Gracious Father, thank you so much uh, for the immense privilege it is to gather as your people, uh, to know you and to be able to speak to you to know that you want us to enjoy you and praise you and ask that you would give us insight uh, into how we might best do this and why. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, everybody, I want um, I want you to spell creamy. That's not a rhetorical question. Uh, how do you spell creamy? No, P-R-A-I-S-E. Ah, yeah, um, that's not how you spell creamy, I know. But it's from an old ad, 1988, the jingle still ringing my brain, I'm sure others might remember it, P-R-A-I-S, you know that one. Anyway, uh, you spell creamy, praise, mayonnaise, <coughs> of course. Interestingly enough, praise, the brand praise, launched an ad campaign uh, in 2019 called... Be thankful, uh, noting a general lack of gratitude uh, towards those who prepare our food at home each and every day. And so sought to praise these people, uh, generally mums and dads, uh, their selfless, consistent, careful preparation of our food. And the sign-off on the end of this ad campaign was, uh, you have made us full and for that we are thankful. Which might actually be the start of the best prayer ever as we go on to look at praising God. But first, uh, let's recap on where we've been over the last uh, number of weeks when it comes to prayer. Firstly, uh, we saw that Jesus' prayers, they are the most important. He not only died the death that we should have died, he lived the righteous life that we should have lived. As such, he prayed the prayers we should have prayed in our place for our sake. Our prayers, they're only acceptable in Christ. For Christ is the one true prayer. Secondly, we saw uh, the proper form of prayer throughout the scriptures is asking God to keep his promises, uh, which are, that we know, are, are fulfilled in Christ. And then uh, the last, uh, the next couple of weeks after that, we've looked at the Lord's Prayer, uh, where Jesus teaches us to pray and what to ask for. 
And we saw the richness of calling on God, our Father in heaven, to the praise of his holy name, asking that everything and everyone submit to Jesus as per God's will, and that he give us our daily bread, forgive us as we forgive others, and lead us into righteousness, not into temptation. And last week we looked a little bit at the Psalms in their passion and expression, very expression of language to further enhance and personalise our own Prayers, touching briefly on the types of prayer uh, on the way, and certain types of prayer that we see throughout the Psalms. And over the next few weeks, we'll be slowing down a little bit to take a closer look at a number of these types of prayer. Confession, petition, lament, finally cursing, uh, but today is praise. As mentioned, uh, we've seen that in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus instructs us in our prayer to call on God, our Father in heaven, to the praise of his holy name, or hallowed be your name. And we unpacked briefly what that might look like, but today we'll look a little deeper into praising God in our prayers. Uh, Firstly, with why praise God. Secondly, the the spiritual health of praising God. Uh, And finally, to the practice of praising God. So, that's where we go. First up, though, why praise God? Well, the simple yet profound answer is because he is. (laughs) At the risk of repeating myself from a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the Lord's Prayer, uh, we saw that Jesus instructs us to begin our prayers, Our Father in Heaven. And that in that address, just in that address, we encounter a tension, a wonderful tension, that's, that finds release only in the following part of Jesus' model prayer, and that is, hallowed be your name, or holy be your name, which is essentially to call uh, on that God's name, who he is, be honoured and revered and praised. Well, why? Well, because he is our Father in heaven. He is the one who's closer to us than any other, the one who invites us to call him Father, but who is also in heaven. He is the utterly transcendent one, a being of unfathomable qualities and quantities. And I reckon it's that this tension that can excite the greatest of praise, because we know this being as our Father through his Son. By his Holy Spirit. We know his unending compassion and grace and love. And by the Spirit in Christ, we have the privilege of calling this being Father, Dad. The nature of our relationship with God, then, is not one of terror. We don't need to fear or distrust him. We can come to him as a child comes to their dad, or should be able to come to their dad. But that doesn't mean that he's any less transcendent, any less of the heavens, any less like us who are of the earth. He is entirely and utterly other. I've uh, been listening to Stephen Fry's uh, most recent book, Heroes, uh, as he talks through the ancient Greek, Greek myths of people like Hercules and Jason and the Argonauts. And there are constant references to the, uh, the Greek gods, like Zeus and Hera, his often disgruntled wife, and uh, many other lesser deities. Uh, and they're all just superhuman. Uh, they can be thwarted or tricked. Not even the mysterious fates 
which lay down the rules that even the gods have to abide by. They're not all-powerful or all-knowing. They can all be tricked or cajoled or manipulated in some way, just like us. But unlike these mythical beings, these fake gods, God, the one true God, is entirely other. As the creator, he is unlike everything and everyone else. And the otherness of God, if you, if you really think about it, it's quite arresting and disorientating and even frightening. But for those of us who trust God in Jesus, the otherness of God, the bigness of him, the, how massive he is, will actually draw our praise. As the vision of God, uh, that God gives John in the book of Revelation testifies to, where everyone and everything in heaven proclaims, you are worthy our Lord and God to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Yeah, God is the creator. He created all things. He willed it and it was so and it remains so. All were given their being and still have their being because God so wills it. As such, all beings have their being because God is. Their being is dependent on his being. But his being is entirely other to ours. Unlike us, he has no beginning. He has no beginning. Think about that. He has no beginning. He is uncreated. And as such, he is entirely independent and free. He, he is boundless and timeless. It's not that he even stands outside of time and space. He precedes time and space. And it's not like he's in another dimension. He is, whereas everything else was not. What's more, we can only think within the limits of this creation, which is bound by time and space. All language then and comprehension of God in, in his essence is ultimately inadequate and it falls apart. It's like trying to catch a waterfall in a sieve and then pour it into a cup. But if anyone was going to catch a few of those drops, uh, it would be the church father Anselm uh, when he wrote this. Sorry if it's a small text, I'll read it to you. Through, he's talking about God here, you, through your eternity you were, you are and you will be. And since being past is different from being future and being present is different from being past and from being future, how does your eternity exist always as a whole? Does none of your eternity pass by so that it no longer is? And is none of it going to become what, so to speak, is not yet is? Then in no case were you yesterday or will you be tomorrow? Instead, yesterday, today and tomorrow, you are. Or better, you simply are, existing beyond all time. You do not exist yesterday or today or tomorrow, for yesterday, today and tomorrow are nothing but temporal distinctions. Now... Although without you nothing can exist, you are not in space or time, but all things are in you. For you are not contained by anything, but rather you contain all things. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. The, the, the massiveness uh, and the incomprehensibleness of God, it's hard to explain. <laughs> it's, uh, it's unsettling. Perhaps it's, a, it's enough... Uh, maybe better just to land on what uh, Job's friend Elihu uh, says when he says, yes, God is great. Beyond our knowledge, the number of his years is unsearchable. 
And yet, this eternal, everlasting, infinite and boundless being wants us to know him. And so in his kindness, he he has lovingly, and please get the sense of this, he has stooped low, and he has stooped low and low and low, lovingly down for us, to accommodate us by speaking and revealing himself to people down through history, as recorded in the Bible, and ultimately and incredibly, he wrapped himself in time and space in the person of Jesus. I don't know if you can get your head around that. And even more incredibly, he took time and space with him into eternity as he went back to the Father in heaven. And he did this, this mind-boggling thing, so that we might not only know God as our devoted, loving Father, but so that we might happily join in the praise of those in heaven. You may know the islands of uh, Santorini. They are actually the remains of a massive volcano that uh, erupted about 3,600 years ago. Um, A few years ago, Megs and I, we walked around the lip of that volcano from one town to another. There are towns on the lip of that that volcano, often past sheer cliffs that drop almost vertically at places, hundreds of metres into the sea. And it, it was breathtaking. And because we were on holidays, we weren't dreading another eruption, which is great, even though it's still an active volcano. Uh, so we actually got to enjoy the grandeur of it all. It was hard not to praise the scenery. We, we could see the beauty of it rather than the terror. And in the same, the same is a little bit the case with God. Because we know him as our Father in Jesus by the Holy Spirit, as we think and can think on him more as he comes closer to us in his heavenly otherness and transcendence, our response is not going to be terror, but it will be awe, and it will be wonder, and it will be praise, because we'll see his beauty, his grandeur, and his love, and we'll just have to praise him for who he is. At our weekly staff meetings, we've been going through this uh, book together, God Is, by Mark Jones, a book that uh, Rosemary Albert is going to actually review for us in a few weeks' time. It's a devotional guide to uh, the attributes of God and it's well worth investing in for the purposes of praising God for who he is. I recommend it. Which brings us to uh, the second point. Praising God's healthy. And this is true for a number of reasons, but here's a couple. As we've touched on before, it completes our joy in God's grace. As the uh, Christian writer and thinker C.S. Lewis helpfully noted, I think we delight to praise when we enjoy because what we enjoy, because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Uh, it's it is at its appointed consummation. Uh, the worthier the object, the more intense that that delight would be. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But we shall know then that these are the same things. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. Now I know I've put this quote up a number of times, uh, but I think it's a key insight into not just how right it is to praise God, but how healthy it is. 
that true happiness is actually found here in praising God as we delight in who he is and what he's done, as we trace all the good things that he's given us in this life back to him and ask the question, what kind of God would do this? What kind of God gives <laughs> these things? I watched a uh, surfing video the other day of some guys riding some absolute monsters <laughs> of a wave. Uh, it gave me butterflies in my stomach just washing. They were, anyway. And upon thinking, what kind of God would make waves like that? I couldn't help think that uh, he is a God who is breathtaking in his dangerous splendour and he's not to be trifled with. And so to praise him then would be to praise him for his restraint, his, his wonder and his power. Or as we did the other week, uh, with Ephesians chapter 1, seeing all the blessings that God has given us in Christ and to trace each of those blessings in what God has done back to who he is. That, for instance, as the one who predestined us in love to be adopted as his son through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, we might know him to be a God who, whose love is as he is, timeless and boundless. That he is love and to praise him for that. <coughs> and in so doing, fulfill the purpose for which we are made. To bring glory, bring him glory by enjoying him. And, and in so doing, breathe health into our very soul. Another reason why uh, it's healthy to praise God is because it renews the mind. Uh, as the Apostle Paul can say, the mind of sinful uh, man does not please God. Indeed, it can't. And a prime expression of that sinful mind, of that sinful nature, is the failure to thank God. However, Christ came to set us free, not just from the penalty of sin, death and hell, he came as to, to set us free from slavery to sin, so that our minds might be renewed, as he goes on to say in Romans chapter 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. So in view of God's mercy to us in Jesus, dying in our place on that cross for our sin, Paul says we're now to offer our lives to God. Not only, not, not out of duty, but out of love, in worship. And that that will look like not conforming to the pattern of this world, which first and foremost is characterised by ingratitude, by not thanking God, it makes sense then that to thank God and to praise him fits nicely with being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And even when we're anxious, as Paul tells us elsewhere, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Because that's not just the mark of a mind renewed by God, but the, the promise of a renewed mind. As he goes on to say, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. To thank and praise God, then, it's the opposite of sin. It's to be transformed from being a slave to sin into a slave of righteousness. So to, to praise God, it not only feels good and is good for the soul, uh, and something, it's something of a barometer to measure our spiritual temperature. <laughs> 
Uh, Megs and I, we've had this note on our bathroom mirror now. I don't know. How many years, babe? Is she here? No, she's not. Years. It's been on there for years. Uh, it was given to us by a doctor recommending that we take three grams of fish oil a day. Uh, Megs noted it just during this week and said, oh, we should really do that. <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, wouldn't it be easier if we had some fish oil? And um, she said, we do, you idiots, in the fridge. Uh, it's been in the fridge forever. <laughs> so it's funny how you can have all the right things in place and totally miss the benefit of something. <laughs> and I reckon praising God can be, can be something like this. We hear it and we go, yeah, yeah, I must get onto that. That sounds good. Uh, and maybe we thought that a while ago, and even though it's been said before, it's a little bit like a helpful note on the side of your mirror that you mostly ignore. And then when it's brought more immediately to mind again, you're like, well, if only I knew how. Which brings us to point three. Practicing praise. I've got three suggestions. They're not the only ways, but here's a few suggestions. As mentioned earlier, a great way to practice praising God is to work from thanking him for the things that he's given you and working your way back to what those things say about who he is. Like something beautiful in nature or the enjoyment of friends and family or good sex or good music or good food or the eternal goods of forgiveness in Jesus and adoption into God's family and the gift of the Holy Spirit and to work your way back from those wonderful things, thanking God for those things, to what they say about him, to praise him for who he is, that he is delightful, that he is an artist, that he's a genius, that he's merciful, that he's gracious, that he's our father, that he's relational, personal, reliable, trustworthy, good, yeah, many of Paul's letters, like Ephesians and Philippians, they begin with thanking God. Uh, and it's worth studying those just to work your way, work towards praising God from For all those good things that he's given you, work your way what they say about him. So that's the first way to practice praising God. Work your way up from thanking God for what he's given you to who he is. Uh, the second is to use the Psalms. The Psalms of praise in the Bible. Uh, these are ready-made praises to God that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Psalms like Psalm 34, 89, 92, 103, 117, 139. Google it. You'll find a heap more. Psalm 8. We were saying that earlier. Remembering that as you use these Psalms in your prayers to look for Jesus in them uh, and to take advantage of the expressive language, fill, fill the metaphors that those psalms use with your own experiences and your own insights of God. Maybe even memorise these psalms. Uh, psalm 134, it's only three verses long. You can, once you've memorised it, you can roll it around in your mind as you look to praise God wherever you are. Say them out loud even. It's interesting that silent reading uh, is a fairly recent phenomenon in the history of reading. Many in the past read out loud. Indeed, the Psalms were all about saying and praying together. Indeed, on the night before Jesus died, he and his disciples had the Passover over meal and we're told when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, at the Passover meal, it was a tradition to sing Psalms of praise. And so it's probable that Jesus and his disciples sang a Psalm of praise here. 
Now, I know someone who regularly puts their daily reading of the Psalms to a tune, just a tune that they make up, uh, that they've gone about singing throughout the day. And I'd say uh, she's one of the most thoughtful and encouraging people I know, by virtue of the fact that her mind has been marinating in the praise of God. There's a bunch of uh, Christian musical groups, like Paul Bishop Hooper and Shane and Shane, that have put a number of the Psalms to song. Look up those. Sing along to these. It's a great way of praising our Heavenly Father. Let's use the Psalms as we practice praising God. And then finally, listen to others in their prayers of praise. Some of the best prayers of praise to our Father in Heaven that I've come across are those of the Church Fathers. Uh, People like Augustine, Luther, Calvin. Uh, For instance, in a number of John Calvin's commentaries on the Bible, he ends on a a Bible passage writing, you know, what he's writing and commentating on it, um, he ends in prayer. And those prayers are so thoughtful, they're full of that wonderful tension between knowing God as Father and the Almighty Sovereign in their praise of Him. They're very inspiring. So look up some of the prayers of the Church Fathers. Look up, look out for prayers of praise by those who've gone before us and are wise in the faith, which uh, includes those who are among us here at church. This Monday just passed, uh, we had our first inaugural monthly prayer meeting, and it was a great encouragement to all who attended. But I was particularly struck by some who would say that they're not confident prayers, but how they loved hearing those who've known Jesus for many years praising our Father and are inspired and spurred on to praise God themselves. There's nothing better than getting in with those who are older and wiser in the faith as they praise God for who he is in Jesus and and let them school you and teach you and guide you by their example. The next prayer meeting is here on Monday, uh, Monday night, the 19th of September, if you want to, at 7pm, if you want some free lessons. And remember that a number of faithful and wise ladies pray each and every Sunday between the services here in the cry room, in the quiet room, off to the side. They'd be more than happy for you to join them as they pray and praise together in prayer. You might learn something. These are just some ways to practice praising God for our own spiritual health as we look to praise God as he deserves. And so... Uh, to that end, I thought that we could spend some time now practicing praising God just quietly by ourselves now, uh, using Psalm 146, which is up on uh, the screen there, or you can look it in your Bible if you can't see it up there, and go over the words. Make this into a prayer of your own to praise God together. And then we'll come together after, after a couple of minutes, a few minutes. And we'll praise God again in Psalm, in the Psalm, uh, Psalm number eight.